Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, everybody. We've gotten our first week of Kaldheim previews a little bit early before the holidays, and today we're going to be talking about the new legendary creatures and main deck cards that we think will make an impact from Kaldheim. But before we jump into these new spoils, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Let's jump into the legendary creatures. Uh, what's the first one we got? I want to say too that, but well, before we even jump into that, like we did get some cards from the set proper, but a lot of the cards that we're going to be talking about today are coming from the set and theme boosters that they decided to spoil earlier than the set proper. So I think what these are going to be showing us are like the kind of the themes going forward. And I think, I mean, after this first guy, you're going to see one of the themes like kind of screaming at you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because this is Halvar, God of Battle. He is a four-four legendary creature god for two and two white creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped have double strike. And at the beginning of each combat, you may attach target aura or equipment attached to a creature you control to target creature you control. So you can move around once per combat. Uh, something that's on one of your guys. But if that was all he was, that would be good but he he's even more he's actually a modal double face card you can cast him on his backside for two mana one and a white for sword of the realms which gives equipped creature plus two plus oh in vigilance and whenever equipped creature dies return it to its owner's hand and it has equip one and a white so um i don't know do you want to kind of get into more nuances about because this is just kind of complicated there's a lot of words on this guy. <laughs> yeah, I'll start by saying that I'd be a lot more hyped about this guy if it hadn't been immediately following Rayav and Arden from Commander Legends. Um, I know. <laughs> uh, that first line of text, the creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped to have double strike, just completely lifted from Rayav. And then the the second ability about moving around auras and equipments is uh, mostly mostly worse than what Arden does, which is... yeah. Arden can um, move multiple auras and equipments onto a single permanent, and it doesn't have to already be equipped to a creature. It can also move around things like curses that are enchanting players. So there's, I think, just a lot more play with Arden in terms of like the, at least with the creature side of Halvar. I, I think it's a little bit less exciting than these other commanders we've seen recently. Mm-hmm. Agreed, actually. I think that it's just kind of lackluster coming off of the heels of uh, two commanders that are cheaper, even if he does kind of both of them at the same time a little worse. Yeah, the Sword of the Realms half is really interesting, though. There's the closest thing to this ability is like Nim Deathmantle, which is a card I'm, I love, huge fan of, uh, really great for some like casual combos. And I think that sort of the realms, it lends itself to sweet value because you can just, if you're just running a deck with a lot of sack outlets and a lot of good ETB creatures like Skyclave Apparition, then you can just use this to uh, keep buying back your your powerful ETB effects. And that seems like a, it'd be really fun to build around. And it's like playing in the Teshar space, but it's not something that just combos off uh, 
super easily. It's something that you have to more like work and grind your value off of, which could be pretty fun gameplay. A deck using Halvar slash the sword, but concentrating on the sword side to me would, like you said, it'd be run things that you want to get back that have like a lot of value on the front end. But I also think like running things like Bounty Agent, running things like Children of Corliss, uh, even running things that give creatures indestructible and stuff like that. I think those are also pretty valuable here. Having a Kami of False Hope that just can keep coming back. <laughs> like that's pretty big game. So I, I agree with you that the sword is probably the more interesting part of this deck. And it, I uh, think it's interesting that they put them together. <laughs> like, I don't know. Is it kind of have cake and eat it too if I want to do both of these things like or or that I'm upset that they're on the same card or yeah you have to jump through some hoops if you want to actually use both of these cards at once um you could always like sculpting steel or masterwork of ingenuity the the equipment half and then let the real one die and then cast it as a creature but it's like wow this is a lot of work to just get two halves in my deck um yeah do you think you would try to build around both halves or would you focus on like building just around the Halvar half or just around the Sword of the Realms half? I mean, I, th- I my intuition would be that second one where like I have a deck that's mostly focusing on the sword or mostly focusing on Halvar like and, and the incidental splash over is going to be there just because they both care about equipments and creatures that want to be equipped. Mm-hmm. So like a deck... Uh, built around either side of this guy is going to run really similar cards like i think both versions of the halvar slash sword deck are going to run like pure steel paladin probably sram things like that but uh, mm-hmm. i think you're just going to end up with natural overlap from the fact that both of them kind of care about equipment and creatures that care about being equipped or like utility creatures the the um skyclave apparition is kind of just a good creature period and i could just totally see running it in halvar god of battle not even planning specifically to like abuse it with the sword at all but it does i don't know it's just kind of interesting that they're doubling down on like this is an acceptable way for white to get card advantage and this is what uh, white card advantage looks like because it is powerful to cheat equip costs and it is powerful to like reuse your creatures but i I just think it's weird that i can't like do do both like it's it's weird that they split it like this and it's weird to have a a modal double-faced legend (laughs) like this i guess so i think we're pretty good at evaluating cards i think i more or less know like how this guy is gonna play but i maybe i'll be surprised i'm not sure how do you feel about the change in how they're templating gods? Like most gods, the vast majority of gods we've seen so far, um, well, all the gods we've seen so far, have some sort of ability that makes them difficult to kill. Um, but Halvar, not so much. He's just like a 4-4 body. Um, do you like this change? Is it something you're you're less pleased about? What do you think? Um, yeah, I think having... A tribe tied to I don't die too good. I think that makes sense from a flavor perspective for certain gods. So in particular, the Theros gods being based on the Olympian gods and their immortality. And that's a, that's a really big point that most people think about when they think about gods from Greek and Roman mythology. 
but I, I think it's fine here because Norse gods died all the time. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I don't want them to do the same thing that they did with the Soratami and the Moonfolk, where all of the cards were a little bit overcosted because they all had to have flying. It is possible for them to make cool gods like these, like like Halvar, from a plane where gods can die, and I don't want them to be constrained, thinking like, "Oh no, how are we gonna fit the indestructible clause on this one?" Like, I think it's fine. Yeah, I I agree. I think that there's always balance issues to take into consideration when you like make it so your gods are really hard to kill. I remember in War of the Spark, it felt like the gameplay that they were trying to encourage was a little bit undercut by the fact that there were these five gods that were really, really, really difficult to kill because like War of the Spark was really like attrition based. It's all about like ticking up your planeswalkers and ticking down your planeswalkers and amassing and sacrificing things for value. You know, it's a it's a resource based war. It's attrition. But then somebody just like slams their god down on the field and it's got some powerful ability and it's super hard to kill and there's five of them in the set so your your chances of seeing that running into this thing is relatively common that limited was contentious but for me that was the glaring <laughs> uh problem with the whole set was that you could feel like you drafted a pretty good deck and then someone played and got eternal Eketra and you're like well goodbye everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so like having gods that are powerful but answerable i like this more than just this is going to win me every game of limited where I draw it. And and then from a you know commander gameplay perspective, it always feels bad when your opponent when your deck is just not capable of answering like an, an indestructible enchantment or something like that. So I, I'm happy to see this this change. And it doesn't really and yeah, you know, I have like that I have like played giant or god tribal lists before. Um, that really are banking on the fact that they're hard to kill but it's it's fine i think there's enough of the other type of god to make those type of decks work and i'd like to see them exploring more with what gods can do and gods can mean mm-hmm. and again like not every god was indestructible you know some of them in various mythologies died and came back and i don't know i think the band-aid had to come off at some point but um we can move on to the next legend if you want Yes, let's. This is Magda Brazen Outlaw. One in a red for a 2-1 legendary creature, Dwarf Berserker. Other dwarves you control get plus 1, plus 0. Whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped, create a treasure token. And sacrifice 5 treasures, search your library for an artifact or dragon card, put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Uh, How do you feel about this commander? This is awesome. (laughs) This is like what I was hoping that Dwarf Tribal would be in like Kaladesh kind of and never really was they kind of didn't really give dwarves a good shot then um this is completely different I also think that this is like such a Tolkienian dwarf too so Mm -hmm. I am pretty excited to see it I'm really excited that it works so well with dwarves of the past which I think maybe is one of the things that they've been lacking doing with a lot of new new tribes a lot of the time is though like uh minotaurs is a good example everyone kind of wanted minotaurs to be a little bit bigger a little bit scarier a little bit cooler because didgeridoo existed and then they were like actually minotaurs are three drops and they're kind of aggressive and you go oh what like that well actually kind of defensive it seems like so many 
they they really pl- hammered the the two three stats yeah for- on on all the minotaurs yeah and so it just didn't feel like there's like a disjunct there but here like there's so many dwarves for some reason that like tap to activate or do things when they attack or just get bonuses when they're attacking or it it's really kind of feeds into the play pattern that like if i just put every dwarf in a deck without like indiscriminately then the deck would work pretty well <laughs> with mm-hmm. magda at the helm and that's pretty cool yeah i also like that the change from depala here where depala forced you to commit have a pretty heavily to vehicles because there just weren't enough dwarves to get a good hit rate or on the um, tap ability. So you needed to run a bunch of vehicles to supplement that so you, you could actually like get cards off of her. But here, the synergy with vehicles is a lot more subtle. Like Vehicles will help you tap your dwarves earlier than they might otherwise have been able to, or more safely than they might otherwise have been able to. But it's not the only way to get your treasure tokens. So I think this is just a more clever design. I think also speaking on the design aspect, like there's a lot of cool things. They've really been pushing treasure and I'm really happy for it. So there's a lot of cool things that you can do. And I think you have a list and the list kind of just go off. You didn't, you totally can combo with this guy, but you also can just like get every dwarf in your deck onto the battlefields (laughs) and attack. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So there's only about 40 mono red dwarves and changelings to choose from, although one of those is seven dwarves, so it's more like 46. But that means you can't be super choosy in which dwarves you're running. Like you're running pretty much like every one cost, one one dwarf, because, you know, if you cut those out, the deck has just nothing. The way it seems to play is like you're playing a, a one drop dwarf on turn one, Magda on turn two. You're trying to curve out with these dwarves. You're slowly accruing treasure. And then once you've got five treasures, you can grab like a coat of arms or an obelisk of Erd or something similar and just make your guys really scary out of nowhere. And it's great that like this, this tutor ability is instant speed and that the treasure token creation happens at the very beginning of combat so that, you know, you can turn your guys sideways, wait for your opponents to make their blocks and then grab your coat of arms and surprise all your guys are dead and mine are enormous and then yes as you mentioned there is a little bit of a combo aspect in that if you find your dockside extortionist and your opponents have maybe like four to five artifacts and enchantments among them then what you can do is play your dockside extortionist immediately get enough treasures to activate magda's ability go into your library and get your cloudstone curio which is a three mana artifact that whenever a non-artifact permanent enters the battlefield under your control, you can bounce another permanent that shares a type with it. So you have your Dockside Extortionist, you have your Cloudstone Curio, you play any other creature, bounce your Dockside Extortionist, recast your Dockside Dockside Extortionist, um, get a whole bunch of treasures, bounce the creature, or bounce your cheapest non-artifact creature, uh, and then you can just keep flipping the Dockside Extortionist in your non-artifact creature back and forth while you accrue treasures. And then, you know, you'll have infinite treasures, you'll have infinite Magda activations. And I've I've just been slipping in a copy of Sheevan Hellkite as a win condition in this situation. Sheevan Hellkite is five red red for a for a five five dragon with flying. And it has one red. Sheevan Hellkite deals one damage to target creature or player. 
So that's just an engine to convert your treasures into direct damage, and you can just win the game from there. I've also thrown in a few tutors just to try to help you find your Dockside Extortionist because it is the most I mean, it, it is the most powerful thing your deck can do. So there's things like Goblin Matron or Gamble or Goblin Recruiter or Imperial Recruiter just to help you uh, kick that that plan into action. I think that the design is open enough that there's going to be a lot of different play because you could you could very easily put in the dragon that deals five when it enters in place of Shiv and Hellkite. You could focus more on the artifact portion of it. You could focus more on the aggro portion of it. I think this commander gives players like a lot of different handholds that they can kind of use to play kind of their favorite cards in mono red. And that's awesome. And it's, it's only two mana (laughs) and that's great. Yeah. I think it's a really sweet commander, great addition to the format. And I'm really looking forward to see what other dwarves we we get Mm -hmm. in Kaldheim. As I mentioned, there's very slim pickings when it comes to the current uh, crop of dwarves available. And it would be fantastic if we could, toss out some things like liberated dwarf and spark mage <laughs> for for some actual playable dwarves mm-hmm. i did not expect Kaldheim to be a tribal set but the fact that it is and the fact that we're getting the tribes we're getting actually has me pretty excited yeah what are your your thoughts on like having two standard sets that are that are very focused on tribes immediately after one another in my mind it's kind of like a a flag for this coming year I mean, I did not expect Kaldheim to be so creature-type focused. I think this is really planting things for whatever the D&D set's going to be. I think they wanted Kaldheim to play well with that set. And I'm pretty sure that we're not going to get Party in the D&D set. I'm pretty sure we're going to get something like more kooky or crazy. I would be very surprised if we didn't have some kind of tribal component in the D&D set. That's just a part of D&D. So I think seeing all these dwarves or clerics or whatever the tribe might be focusing on i i think it's just how they want to shape standard for the next year (laughs) they know that they can balance tribal decks a little bit more than the really open value decks that they've been kind of throwing everybody the last few years well i I don't know if it's necessarily like throwing open value decks at us it's more that like when formats are being solved so quickly if they don't use linear themes then it's a lot harder for them to predict what's going to be powerful in standard. And then that might just lead to problems with the format being solved. And it's like, oops, this Fires of Invention was actually way better than we thought it was. Yeah. I thought this was a goofy rare. So maybe their their strategy for dealing with like the, the extreme acceleration of people figuring out formats is just like, well, let's if we concentrate the power in these themes that are are limited that have like a clear ceiling rather than just like open-ended powerful magic cards, then maybe we can have a little bit more control over what the the standard metagame looks like. That, that's a possibility because mm-hmm. it is it is very conspicuous that we had not only not only Zendikar Rising with the the tribal theme, not only Kaldheim with the tribal theme, not only like the potential for a tribal theme in this D&D Forgotten mm-hmm. Realms set as you mentioned but also you know we also know that they are there are going to be two Innistrad sets and Innistrads have always had a tribal component yeah so that is a lot of tribal in one year and it's it's certainly conspicuous and I, I think there's got to be a reason for it yeah and I, I think that you hit the nail on the head with the design constraints like it's it's 
more easy for them to guess how well the dwarf deck is going to play than be like, well, how is Uro going to fit into these any possible blue-green X lists or blue-green XY lists? Like, it's a little bit more open and difficult to to gauge. So I, I don't think it's entirely them trying to give themselves a break, but I do think it's the pendulum swinging back to a more linear strategy from the really kind of uh, value-based ramp that we've been seeing. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> For Commander, yeah. that's great. I'm, I'm fine with it. After a, I think it makes sense to have, I, I know that they didn't make all of the decisions this year in this coming year of sets based on the last year of standard because they just worked too far ahead. But it seems promising that if if people are really upset about just the constant bannings in standard that having a more controllable standard environment that doesn't necessarily lead to bannings could be a good change of pace. But uh, saying having said that, I think we can move on to the next commander. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about Renar the Ever Watchful. Renar is two white blue for a two three legendary spirit warrior. It has flying and vigilance. The first card you foretell each turn costs zero to foretell. And whenever you exile one or more cards from your hand and or permanence from the battlefield, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. Uh, so what does foretell do, Zach? <laughs> um, well, that remains to be seen as far as I know. <laughs> I think these cards were leaked. The front faces of the commander set or the commander decks were leaked. and people kind of guessed so i'm not sure if we would have gotten this guy as a preview unless that had happened i think they're kind of this has happened these are are not leaks at this time they have been officially spoiled yeah on weekly yeah they've been officially spoiled but i'm not sure if they would have been i don't know maybe they were oh, planning like on what, it you think that they were you think that because they we got blurry images that's what prompted them to spoil these cards? yeah i think that's that's i mean that's how i feel i could be wrong they could have been planning it from the start because they did show us a lot more cards than i thought like from most of these cards are from the theme decks and like set boosters and stuff like that so or the theme boosters and set boosters so i i I think you're probably I i think you're probably right and what makes me believe that is because the pictures were so blurry people initially thought that the zero symbol the zero to foretell was snow (laughs) was snow and i think they really wanted to get ahead of that and rather than like say nothing and let people uh, continue with this misconception and then be disappointed by a set without snow they were like okay let's just show the show these cards so that everyone will be on the same page and coming into the set with no expectation of snow yeah and kind of all of that said this guy's great <laughs> like not even knowing what foretell does i'm super excited about this guy <laughs> just yeah i mean do you want to get into the the stuff you can do with him Okay, I'll, I'll say I'll say one thing first, which is that um, it appears that Fortel has something to do with exiling cards from your hand, and the, the current speculation is that Fortel is some sort of modified or fixed suspend. Um, I know that Mark Rosewater on his blog has said before that like he'd be interested in doing suspend that's more streamlined, less wordy, uh, potentially without counters. So I, I think that. There's been a little bit of talk that Fortel might be some sort of like pay a cost, exile this card from your hand, and then uh, upon some sort of trigger, cast it without paying its mana cost. And that might be like 
you know, at the beginning of your next upkeep, cast it without paying its mana cost or like when something happens. But uh, something that removes the like fiddly having to track counters on three different suspended cards, that kind of mess. But even without knowing what Fortel does, uh, this second ability is broad enough that there's a lot of play with it, you know, having seen zero Fortel cards. So one easy way to trigger this ability is by blinking your stuff. And there's actually a couple loops uh, or a couple combinations of cards that allow you to infinitely blink your own things. If you have like a Felidar Guardian and a Restoration Angel or a clone or a Wispeaver Angel, then you can get infinite blinks and that'll lead to infinite 1-1 White Spirits off of your Renar. So I think that that might be a good direction to build around until we... We see these foretell cards. And so I've got a list that that is essentially like, you know, blue white control, but with this combo finish as the intended end of the game. I, I mean, I agree with you. I think uh, white has been playing in this exile space for so long that we have the critical mass kind of needed to let Renard do his thing. Yeah. And there are so many great just staple effects that happen to exile in these colors. Of course, you have your swords to plowshares and path to exile. Um, but you also have things like Reality Shift and and Curse of the Swine and and just things like uh, Oblivion Ring effects like Grasp of Fate or there's just plenty to do to trigger your commander in a controlling shell without even having to go infinite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just tons of value. So I think I would be surprised if we don't see Renard just kind of as a commander that is just in people's playgroups going forward. Kind of the same. I don't know if you want to move on, but this, the next one is kind of the same. Oh, yeah. This is an interesting one. Uh, do you want to read this off? Sure. So this is Lathril, Blade of the Elves. This is the other face commander from the commander decks that we're going to get. She has Menace. She's an elf noble, a 2-3 two, for 2 black green. So 4 mana. When Lathril, Blade of the Elves, deals combat damage to a player, create that many 1-1 one, one green elf warrior creature tokens. Then she also has Tap. Tap 10 untapped elves you control. Each opponent loses 10 life and you gain 10 life. So I I just cannot imagine this card not seeing play. I, there, there's so many people that love elves. There's so many cards that this kind of enables in black green. In a similar way that like Feather or Krenko or Zada kind of made these red pump spells viable in Commander. This is turning a lot of these green pump spells and very efficient pump spells um into actual cards like into into beef and that is that's pretty good <laughs> yeah i would happily run like a scale up or a might of old crosa or an invigorate in this deck because like you know paying one or zero mana to pump up your lathril and get an additional four elves is a big game or that's a that's a very good trade in my book. Yeah, a card in one mana to groundswell your commander and get six elves is that's that's pretty rad. <laughs> so I've seen I've heard about some builds of Lathril that are sort of aristocrat focused. There are cards like Poison Tip Archer that are elves that uh, Poison Tip Archer says whenever whenever another creature dies, each opponent loses one life. So if you're making a ton of tokens off of your commander, you can easily like not only activate them to make your opponent lose a bunch of life, but if your opponent were to wipe the board, then that's even more damage that they're taking. Or you can have your own sack outlets and try to deal additional damage that way. 
So I've heard of those types of aristocrats builds. There's also, of course, like the the typical elf build, which leans very green heavy um, and just sort of uses Lathril as uh, a way to, to generate more elves for your elf tribal effects. Mm. And honestly, like the tap ability is, is not, not bad. I think in casual circles, one of the things that happens is like the board stalls and people can't close out the game. Lathril being like, Dome me for 10 kind of leads me to believe that that's not going to be as big of a problem in some circles. So um, I'm kind of here for the whole card. I'm, I'm really excited. This seems like a great black green elf commander. Um, you know, again, it's it's a little bit preempted by what we saw in Commander Legends. Yeah, um, just because, we you know, that was a limited theme there. And there were black and green elf partner commanders that you were intending that you were intended to play together. You almost wish Commander Legends had like a slightly different place on their release calendar, like mm. came out in the summer or came out maybe later in 2021 because of the similarities in these sets. I know. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think this lands on the other side of where Halvar landed, because I think, I think with uh, Rayov and Arden, Halvar landed on like maybe a little bit on the weaker side compared to them. Um, but I think... Lathril's kind of landing on the stronger side of the elves that we saw in Commander Legends, even all similarities kind of put together. Yeah, there is one thing I would like to note, though, which is that one benefit of the CMR partner commanders, the Commander Legends elf partner commanders, is that they naturally provided you with a sink for your mana, which is pretty important in an elf deck. I've done a little bit of testing with Lathril and have found that there will be times where I have like my Priest of Titania making a million mana or my Marwyn the Nurturer or whatever, um, but not enough to do with it. And that's less of an issue when I have like a Numa Jiraga Chieftain as one of my commanders or if I have a Nazuri Renegade Leader as my commander. But Lathril doesn't have those easy mana sinks that some of these other elf commanders do. So that's something you've got to maybe build into your deck and make sure you have a way to spend all your mana Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point we did get another black green commander um do you care if i read this guy off Uh, go right ahead so this is sarulf realm eater a three three wolf for one black green they have whenever a permanent and opponent controls is put into a graveyard from the battlefield put a plus one plus one counter on sarulf realm eater like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's, that's pretty fair, right? And then at the beginning of your upkeep, if Seraph has one or more plus one plus one counters on it, you may remove all of them. If you do exile each other non land permanent with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of counters removed this way. So, wow, <laughs> this is going to be too scary for most tables. I think the threat of Seraph just like eating everyone's permanence every other turn is going to make him a lightning rod and i think that he kind of encourages a really interesting play pattern because you also can't keep your board around or you can't keep your like arcane signet or soul ring and things like that around as easily as a lot of other decks so i think he's not going to play the same as other black plus one plus one counter lists i think he's going to be a lot more i don't know if stacks is the right word but just a lot more controlling there are a couple safe things you or relatively safe things you can invest in without worrying too much of that they're going to get wiped by your own Sorelf. 
one easy thing you can do is just invest in your lands, like try to build sort of a lands shell. You're you're just ramping every turn. You're you're playing a lot of utility lands that can provide like a sink for your mana, sort of like war room type effects. That might be one direction you can go and just so you don't have to necessarily commit cards to the board. You can also just play a ton of instants and sorceries that aren't committing cards to the board. And you can also use, and this like synergizes kind of well with the ramp plan, but you can also just play permanents that are so expensive that they're unlikely to get wiped by Sirulf. Like it, it would be unlikely for you to get enough counters on Sirulf or to remove them. That would be things like the Great Henge or maybe like El- Legendary Eldrazi or you know, Void Winnower, Kuro Pit Lord, those kinds of things that are just so expensive, you're not going to have like an 11-11 Sirulf running around. Mm-hmm. One of the things about his design is that he gets counters when you trigger off of any permanent an opponent controls going to their graveyard. But kind of in that vein, if you're running flesh bags and you're running just normal removal assassins, trophies, whatever, he's kind of doubling up on himself so he kind of i mean in, like why bother to destroy something in order to get enough counters to exile it like mm-hmm. yeah in, a lot of the ways you can farm it are just kind of redundant with the the thing you're farming for mm-hmm. yeah a lot of the things are redundant and and i think the problem i have with that is that it, i'm worried people have the same line of thought that i had and some other friends of mine had which was why don't I blow up their lands? <laughs> why don't I yeah, run? Yeah. Why don't I run ghost quarters and strip mines and uh, sinkholes and and blow up the lands and get some counters? Because those don't get exiled. And there's always a high market or something I got to take out. Uh, I want to see where the community lands on this guy because I think the way he points you right now is um, not the most pro-social. <laughs> I think that in this case, uh, Wizards was really trying to execute on the flavor of Fenrir and was perhaps less interested in making a really good commander card. They did it. This card is awesome. And even if I'm not going to make it as a commander, I think it's cool that this exists. And I'm glad that they don't completely shy away from strategies that could lend themselves to be more controlling. I'm glad that they recognize that there are still players that want to do that, even if uh, there are probably some players that looked at this card and like threw their hands in the air. <laughs> Speaking of exiling stuff, <laughs> good segue. Yeah, do you want me to get into this next commander? Yeah, go right ahead. Sure, or I guess not commander uh, unless you're playing brawl. But this is a our first planeswalker, Kaya the Inexorable, uh, a five loyalty planeswalker, Kaya for three white black. She has plus one. Put a ghost form counter on up to one target non-token creature. It gains when this creature dies or is put into exile, return it to its owner's hand and create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. Uh, she has minus three exile target non-line permanent and minus seven. You get an emblem with at the beginning of your upkeep, you may cast a legendary spell from your hand, from your graveyard or from among cards you own in exile without paying its mana cost. So I actually like this a lot. (laughs) Comes down, and if you have like a chain going, if you have a a sack loop, if you have uh, ways to exile things, whatever is going on, like if you have some kind of aristocracy or value engine going on, 
she kind of adds to that, gives you a little bit more oomph to whatever that is kind of doing in a lot of situations. She could just be a kill spell, which is kind of like the fail safe. This is really the reason why I like her is that her ultimate is good, but not so scary that she's like a must kill target on the board. So I think you're actually going to get to play with her. So I think it's like a confluence of like, she is just not scary enough and does just enough to, I actually do think I could play this in a commander list and have a good time with it. uh, As opposed to most planeswalkers we do end up seeing. Yeah, I I think this is a really exciting emblem. I mean, she's five mana. Her plus one requires a bit of building around to get value out of it. So, you know, I'm not super high on this card, but uh, that that definitely is an exciting emblem. If you're playing like an Atraxa Planeswalker list, then being able to, you know, get that in just one round of turns, uh, and then from then on being able to cast uh your 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 dead planeswalkers or, or drop your planeswalkers out of your hand for free or even like get back your Kaya after immediately after you ultimate her. Those are all pretty appealing. So I, I think people are going to be able to find decks to put this in. Yeah. That's really kind of the point that I'm at with this is like, oh, this is not embarrassing <laughs> to like play in your list. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I could put this into a list and like it would do stuff and I would feel like i'm actually doing something as opposed to most planeswalkers where you're like plus one draw a card for five mana pass yeah, and you're like yeah. oh okay this one like fail state or fail case on this is a sorcery speed anguished unmaking yeah. which is not the worst yeah not the worst at all so yeah interesting i know there's gonna be tibble and i i'm gonna go on the over and say that they're pushing tibble this time because they know how much people like him and he hasn't gotten a planeswalker that is is good. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I, I'll sign on to that. I think that Tybalt has been popular despite being like initially abysmal and then just like middling draft fodder. Mm-hmm. So I think that if if we are going to get a pushed planeswalker in this set it'll probably be tibble yeah, it's probably gonna be tibble. that's my guess but we uh got some main deck cards for y'all and uh, we don't uh have too many of them so this will go pretty quickly but um the first one is an interesting card i think nick made a good point about it before we started recording but this is armed and armored uh this is a white instant one and a white uh for an uncommon vehicles you control become artifact creatures until end of turn Choose a dwarf you control, attach any number of equipment you control to it. Yeah, how do you feel about this? So I can think of one dwarf that has a lot of equipment and not nearly enough mana to pay for all the equip costs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's SRAM. <laughs> so SRAM is awesome at filling out a board with equipment, but it's reliant on things like Pure Steel Paladin or Arden or Sigardus Aid in order to actually attach those equipment to your commander and start like Voltroning as a potential win condition. So Armed and Armored is just like another option for you, another way to suit up your SRAM and start killing people with all these equipment that you've been casting. I also think it's just interesting that there's so few ways to cheat equip costs, especially like at instant speed or even just like white instant attach an equipment to target creature you control. And they all have conditions like this one, like this is a dwarf you control. There's one in Zendikar Rising that's, uh, a warrior you control i don't always have a dwarf or a warrior so it's it's interesting that we haven't gotten just the generic 
case of that yet. If white is only going to get like narrow equipment type cards pushed for commander, then you might as well like really be aggressive about it. I, I think that this did not need to specify dwarf, but maybe they're just going for that that flavor thing, and I guess that's fine. The tribal rewards that we have seen so far, uh, we're going to get into more of them. Actually, let's just get into the next one. I've been, I think, what the tribes have needed. So this next card is a good example of that. It's Starnheim Aspirant. This is a 2-2 human cleric for 2 and a white, so 3 CMC. Angel spells you cast cost 2 generic less to cast. So it's just Dragon Speaker Shaman for angels. This is, I don't know, this is just going to be a staple in every casual angel build forever now. Like, I I think every Lyra Dongbringer deck is going to have this. Oh, of course. Has to go Like, I think every Aurelia deck is going to have this, like... It's just a given. It's just, this is, here it is. This is here to stay. Honestly, it's almost unfortunate that this is a random uncommon creature because I think that this is pretty close to exactly what angels need in a commander. Mm -hmm. Just being able to like cast their commander, you know, very early in the game, turn two or three, and then actually cast multiple angels in one turn would be a big game compared to like the current play style of say a Lyra Dawnbringer deck, which is just, I will starting on turn four, I will cast one angel per turn forever. Yeah. And, <laughs> and like, given that so many angels are just like beefy donks, it's like, this is in no way. Are you going to be able to win a game of commander like this? We'll see. I am expecting that for all of the, the major tribes represented in this set that we're going to get a legendary creature that supports that tribe. And if so, I'm hoping that we're going to get a good angel tribal commander in this set. But I would really like for that angel tribal commander to be something in the vein of like a Nunesh or a Gargos or an Ur dragon that is aware that, wow, this tribe is really expensive. I, I will focus a lot of my power in uh, counteracting that as opposed to something like Lyra Dawnbringer, where it's like, my my angels do not need this <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah, my angels were already big and flew and hit pretty hard. Because this next card, I don't know, It I think there's a little bit more to say about it than, than uh, looks on the surface. But this is Valkyrie Harbinger, a 5-4 angel cleric with flying and lifelink. It costs 4 white-white, so 6 CMC. It has, at the beginning of each end step, uh, note it's each end step. If you gained four or more life this turn, create a 4-4 four, four white angel creature token with flying and vigilance. Generically, just a good angel. It feeds into its own ability, which is very good. But also, like, it's interesting that, like, the best life gain reward we've had so much in Angelic Accord is coming back again. <laughs> they were like, oh, that that worked pretty well. People liked that. What if we made a creature that did that? <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty interesting. I'm just uh, making a mental note of that. Yeah, no, I, I really like this card. I think you can probably figure out which decks are interested in an angel that makes more angels. But notably, uh, Omnath 4.0, Omnath, uh, four-color Omnath, uh, gains four life every time you get a landfall trigger. And if you build that deck specifically so that it's able to uh, spread those landfall triggers around across your opponent's turns, then you could potentially get 16 power in one round off of your 
Valkyrie Harbinger or your Angelic Accord. So I think that could be an interesting place to to see this effect outside of just the the standard angel tribal lists. The, so I think we're onto the blue cards now, and they point us in interesting directions. So this is Absorb Identity. This is a blue instant, one in a blue. Return target creature to its owner's hand. You may have shapeshifters you control become copies of that creature until end of turn. Yeah, what do you? How do you feel about this card? Uh, so I'll start by saying that we may have wanted to lay this out earlier, but all of the enemy colors in Kaldheim appear to have like a tribal theme. So white black is appears to be angel tribal. Um, black green appears to be elves. Green blue appears to be well changelings blue red appears to be giants and white red is dwarves the listing shapeshifters on here is a reference to this blue green theme of changelings and i actually like this effect a fair bit there are a a handful of decks that run a lot of changelings and with any luck there will be some sort of commander in this set that also fits shapeshifters or changelings under one banner that somehow makes that work well. Mm-hmm. And if you have a list with a lot of changelings, this is just like a relatively unique effect, and it's way cheaper than comparable cards like Mirror Weave or Sakashima's Will. I have never been super excited to cast those other two cards, but for two mana, getting like someone's huge dragon out of the way, and then suddenly I have five of those dragons... Uh, that could be pretty appealing. I can see a lot of situations where this would be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the reason I like this card so much is that uh, it, in the decks that are going to want to play it, is basically just a mirror weave, but better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it kind of gives you inherent uh, tempo, or in some cases, card advantage if there's like an aura or something on the creature that you're targeting. Uh, maybe even just mana advantage sometimes. But the fact that your kind of janky tribal or your changeling list or whatever gets to then become that thing it kind of i I can imagine a ton of scenarios in which that just kills someone you're like that's pretty much out of nowhere uh it's at instant speed two mana is just such a low price to pay for that so i'm pretty uh high on this card yeah it also like a little bit speculative in the sense that you know i really want to see what other changelings we get what the the if and if we get some sort of green-blue changeling commander. So it's a little bit speculative, but I think this card could be very powerful. In that vein, this is the next blue card we got is a little bit more narrow, but also powerful in certain circumstances. This is Giant's Grasp. This is a blue aura. It costs two blue-blue. It has Enchant Giant you control. When Giant's Grasp enters the battlefield, gain control of target non-land permanent for as long as Giant's Grasp remains on the battlefield. So basically what it is, is it's a confiscate, but instead of enchanting the permanent you want, you enchant your giant. And if your giant ever leaves, uh, your permanent also goes back. This is really only playable in three lists right now. There's, what is it, Thrix, The Sudden Storm. You could play it in Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath. You could play it, I think the one we're going to see it the most is Ruhan of the Four Mori, and you can play it in Aloro, Ageless, Ascetic. These are all giants, they're all blue, and all of them can kind of use some some stealing. They all could effectively use this card. I think Thrix and Ruhan are the places we're going to see it most, but uh, other than that, uh, I think this is 
the the only real notable thing about this card is and we're going to get into this again with some of the further cards too they it seems like they're actually pushing these tribes in ways that they need to like they haven't done before i'm not super high on giant's grasp just because it's so easily undone by removal in a way that like a confiscate is not i appreciate that it is a discount over the common effects like this but i don't know I, i'm very risk averse when it comes to commander and i just see this as like i see this as not lasting very long i think that's totally fair and <laughs> i mean i guess if we move on to this next card this next card is really showing off oh yeah this next one's a thing <laughs> this next one is uh, also a giant tribal card we're in red though this is Fire Giant's Fury. And I do want to say before I read off the card, I was very excited when I saw we were getting blue red giants because like fire uh fire giants and frost giants are like super Norse. That we already have a lot of cool red giants. I am interested to see what the blue gives us. But this card in particular, Fire Giant's Fury, is a sorcery. Costs one and a red. And it has target giant you control, gets plus two plus two, and gains trample until end of turn. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player this turn, exile that many cards from the top of your library. Until the end of your next turn, you may play those cards. Uh, wow. <laughs> the, wow. <laughs> that's, um, that's a pretty good Hunter's Prowess. It's such a steep discount. There are, of course, a couple minor differences. It's only plus two plus two instead of plus three plus three, and you do only have two turns to cast the cards. But really, who cares? This is, uh, if you're casting it on your Ruhan and impulse drawing nine cards then you're you're not gonna really care yeah. about losing a few of them especially because it's so cheap like hunter's prowess you know it was likely most of your turns mana to cast that card but with fire giant's fury you can cast this be able to like you know probably make a land drop and also play one or two of the things you exiled uh, i think you're going to get a lot of cards off of this for and for an investment of two mana this seems very sweet mm -hmm. yeah definitely i really am interested to like revisit ruhan after this set and be like huh i wonder like if this isn't kind of a meme deck now if this is like got enough oomph to like actually take out a table <laughs> so uh i think we can move on i think we only got um a few more cards but they're all they're all pretty good we are moving on to green with Canopy Tactician. This is three and a green for a 3-3 three, three elf warrior. Other elves you control get plus one plus one, and it taps to add green, green, green. I think this is a combination of a couple things that are less than exciting, but it, it may be like slightly greater than the sum of its parts. I think that like elf decks aren't super excited about a single plus one plus one boost especially when the most popular elf commander is Azuri, which is like, you know, plus three, plus three and overrun. When you have access to that in the command zone, then like a single plus one plus one is not nearly as appealing. And then like in terms of mana dorks, this is competing with things like Llanowar Tribe or Priest of Titania or uh, Wirewood Channeler. Three is actually not that much compared to the elves that are most proficient at generating mana. But together, maybe worth a card slot. Mm -hmm. I like this card because outside of just purely elf lists, I would run this. Like there's just a decent amount of lists that think like Kinnon or uh, any of these kind of like big mana green spells that we're getting, Emoti, um, things like that, that go really quickly from Thrain Dynamo is like usually one of the better cards in those lists because you go from turn four to like casting your big thing so quickly. I, I think that's something to note here where even if you're not getting the elf benefit out of this 
Uh, most of the other cards that tap for three mana, you either have to put effort into or cost like five, six more, just cost a ton of mana. So I think that is just notable alone on it, that it's basically a four mana tap for three card. So I'm I'm interested in seeing like what it can do there. I agree with you too on the elf run. I think this will probably see play in a decent amount of just pure elf lists because I think it does like just enough. And this next card, actually, yeah, this is an instant. It is Elven Ambush. I did not announce it, but we are in the green cards, everybody. It is three and a green for an instant. Create a 1-1 green elf warrior creature token for each elf you control. Double your elves. There you go. Pretty pretty easy. <laughs> I can see a lot of people playing this, a lot of elf lists, just playing this card and just being happy with it and not giving it a second thought. Yeah, I, I mean, it's pretty comparable to Elvish Promenade, which sees plenty of play. Uh, it's mostly an upgrade because of the instant speed but you'll you'll run both mm-hmm. and it's just it's just good put it in your elf deck mm-hmm. i think gets us to the next card which also is pretty narrow but this is glade walker ritualist a three three shapeshifter for two and a green they have changeling so they are all creature types and whenever another creature named glade walker ritualist enters the battlefield under your control draw a card so you might be thinking why why did we mention this card? Well, do you want to do you want to tell him? It doesn't even work, Commander. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a cheap changeling, and that is honestly enough for a lot of decks. If you're running like a Rin and Sari deck, because it's both a cat and a dog, it'll trigger both halves of the card and get you two tokens when you cast it. In Atla Palani Eggs, those types of decks tend to run a lot of changelings because you can just like sacrifice a changeling flip until you hit another changeling and then just uh eventually you hit your ulamog shuffle your graveyard back in your library keep doing it you basically just generate infinite of whatever your sack outlet generates because you can uh god i, I don't want to like explain this in too much detail yeah yeah this, it's, we, it's fine we've done a deck tech about it we talked about atla pretty pretty um extensively in the past yeah so you can go back uh, yeah. to that episode if you really want to hear about it. Yes, but essentially like cheap changelings are good. Uh, you don't want to have to rely on Atla living long enough to activate her and make an egg. Like really the ideal curve is something like turn two goblin bombardment, turn three gladewalker ritualist, turn four Atla Palani, let's go. Like that's really all you need to win, assuming like the RNG works out in your favor. You know, it'll replace some of the more expensive changelings or eggs that you're already running. Like a ruck egg costs four. I could I could see running this over it. So it's it's just an easy swap into one of those decks. And then of course, um Ayula, Queen among Bears, she wouldn't mind additional cheap bears to maybe replace the more expensive ones mm-hmm. that are currently being run yeah i was gonna actually say that 100 percent. just like ayula really <laughs> needs all the help it can get and another cheap changeling that kind of muscles out one of the more expensive bears and or you can run in addition to the bears because this is actually pretty good and so far as vanilla test goes <laughs> mm-hmm. i think that deck needs all the help it can get <laughs> Absolutely. But I think we can move on to this next card, which uh, is also a Changeling spoiler alert. This is Realm Walker, two and a green for a 2-3 shapeshifter with Changeling. As it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast creature spells of the chosen type from the top of your library. So the obvious point of comparison here is Vizier of the Menagerie, which is mostly the same thing, but it isn't limited to any creature type. And that sees a fair amount of play in Commander with 6,483 decks. 
that is also like slightly more expensive. So this is cheaper. It's mostly limited to tribal decks, but the fact that this is a member of your tribe makes things really convenient. I, w- I would happily run this in any green tribal deck. I don't really think I have more to add to that. I think this is just a good card and we're going to see it going forward. Yeah, I'm very excited for this card. And the uh, it is also the buy a box promo with some beautiful Igor Kirilluk art. Yeah, the buy a box promo art is so good. It's so cool. But yeah, we have some multicolor cards. And then I think, I don't know if you want to talk about like hopes, hopes, dreams, fears and stuff like that for the set, because we have a few more weeks before we get into proper spoiler season. Yeah, that sounds good. So this next card is Rampage of the Valkyries. It is three white black for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, create a 4-4 white angel token with flying and vigilance. And whenever an angel you control dies, each other player sacrifices a creature. How do you feel about this card? I think it's pretty good value just on the surface if you are playing an angel commander. That being said, there's really only two angel commanders and it doesn't work with one of them. (laughs) I should rephrase that statement two like viable angel commanders and and one of them doesn't work one of them is Kali of the vast and the other one being lyra dawnbringer which we mentioned earlier i mean this obviously works with lyra the angel does get the buff and everything but kalia can't cheat this into play so there's no reason to put this into that list i don't necessarily see a home for it right now but I'm hoping we will later on in this in this spoiler season. Yeah, I, I mean, just based off of what we saw in Zendikar Rising, like for all of the the tribes represented in that set, we saw a, a we saw a legendary commander that enhanced the the tribe's themes. So I'm really hoping they just do a repeat performance. We get to see the same thing here with some sort of black white angel tribal commander that would be a perfect home for rampage of the valkyries because i think this is a sweet card and i really hope that we are able to find a good home for it yeah i think this is really cool and we're almost at the critical mass of angel dies triggers or like cheap angel triggers that there is a deck waiting to to form so i'm really hoping that we get that through the rest of call time uh what other like angel dies triggers oh there's the white white one four whenever an angel dies you get a spirit um Uh, and then whenever an angel enters you gain four like if you have rampage of the valkyries you have that five four we talked about earlier you have that thing you're just going off it's Uh it's like and and they're all just like a tribal team so it really does look to me like they're really trying to pump up that angel tribal list i just hope they give me the commander for that list (laughs) i want to see it yes agreed so this next card is a showdown of the scalds it is a saga so we are getting sagas in kaldheim which i'm super down for that's that's great it is two red white act one is exile the top four cards of your library until the end of your next turn you may play those cards and then act two and three are the same Whenever you cast a spell this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. I don't know. Do you want to do you want to get into this? I think this is just a fine way for Boros decks to reload after they empty their hands, especially if they're more proactive lists. Impulse draw is always a little bit awkward in more like reactive controlling decks because your answer, if you if your deck is full of answers, the answers you exile might not be the thing you need at this moment. So it's always a little bit uncomfortable. But if you're just running a proactive deck 
where it's like every turn I just want to play as many equipment as possible and slam them onto my creatures, then Showdown of the Scalds seems perfect for you because you're not waiting on anything. You're not holding your removal for the perfect target. You are just committing cards to the board and Impulse Draw is just perfect for that. Yep, aggression. Yeah. Uh, and then there's one commander that this seems particularly good in, and that's Bell Borka. So Bell Borka is a new commander from uh, Commander Legends, and it's two white red for a star five spirit soldier. Note the converted mana cost of each card as it's put into exile. Its power is equal to the greatest number noted for it this turn. And at the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. So Impulse Draw works especially well in Bell Borka because you're just giving yourself more chances to hit a high CMC card and give him a huge power boost. And then, of course, like getting counters on him when he's clearly like intending to attack for the win yeah. is also good. I just think this is uh, a lot of cards in an aggressive deck. I think it's a really good mana cost for that, too. A lot of aggressive decks really top out at four. <laughs> like you're dropping your hand and topping out at four maybe five drop or two so being able to just pay for reload for the next two turns seems fine seems pretty good mm-hmm. which leads us to the artifact we've gotten this is pyre of heroes this is a two mana artifact it has two tap sacrifice a creature search your library for a creature card that shares a creature type with the sacrificed creatures and has converted mana cost equal to one plus that creature's converted mana cost Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Activate this ability only any time you could cast a sorcery. So what does this card remind you of? Boy, it sure looks like a birthing pod. (laughs) Sure does look like a birthing pod. Yeah, there's a lot of tribes that want that. The the one that stuck out to me is like particularly good is Aura Clerics, Aura Skyclave Hierophant. So Aura came out in Zedekar Rising, for those who aren't familiar with it. It is two white black for a 3-3 core cleric with lifelink and whenever it or another cleric you control dies return target cleric with lesser converted mana cost from your graveyard to the battlefield so this just seems fantastic it's it's a way for you to uh climb the ladder of clerics and just okay i'm gonna sacrifice my my selfless spirit and go get like a fiend hunter and or something like that I'll sack my Fiend Hunter, go get some four CMC Cleric, sack that, go get my Custody Lich or whatever. And in each case, like if Aura is on the battlefield, the next lowest rung of the ladder gets brought back each time you sacrifice a creature. So it's just seems like a great way to fill your graveyard, tutor out your best clerics. Seems very synergistic in that list. Yeah, I, I can see this re- being really good there. I can see this being really good in like a lot of zombie lists zombies want to die a lot and honestly like reaper king was something that i thought about too like being able to churn through your bad scarecrows and get your good scarecrows of which there are only a few but they're real bangers like scarecrow or grim poppet like there are a few scarecrows that are good enough that you would want to search your library for them and the synergy with just vindicating when you do search them out with Reaper King seems strong, seems pretty good. So mm. I'm pretty into this card there as well. So those are all of the the commander relevant cards we've seen spoiled so far. Let's talk a bit about, you know, we've got a couple of weeks before the spoilers really kick in in earnest. 
Uh, what are you hoping to get out of this set? What are you expecting from this set? What would you really like to see out of Kaldheim? Yeah, I, I think I want them to follow through on the tribal promises. And I don't mean just print some more dwarves or angels. I mean, like, support a tribal angel list. I mean, support a blue-red tribal giants list. Give me a reason to jam all of these giants into my blue-red deck. Something like that. That's really something I'm hoping for, because that alone is going to open up a ton of space just with cards that exist. There are a ton of mono-red giants. Most of them are expensive. They're not super strong on their own but if there was some banner in which i could jam them all maybe it could be cost reduction it could be anything give me anything that lets me play these giants and i'll be happy same with angels Uh, if we get a black white angel list that actually works with this enchantment that we've seen actually works with some of the angels that we've gotten in the past i will be like ecstatic and that, that that's one of my biggest hopes the other one is just changelings that don't make me embarrassed i would yes. i would love a few more changelings that don't make me feel like like look at the table and go like burp 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 and just shrug and be like well it's it's a three mana two two <laughs> like that's it's it's worth it <laughs> yeah yeah a- anything else you'd like to see anything else you're hoping for um i i'm really happy i don't know if this is like a a hope per se but the support that we have seen for the tribes in call time in particular um like the the support cards that we've seen just in this episode whether that's the armed and armored whether that is absorb identity these are really like aggressively costed support cards the uh fire giants fury i w- i would just love for them to do more of that one of the things i think it was the only thing Ixalan got right was that the support cards for tribes were pretty strong, even though the tribes themselves were very bad. <laughs> I would really hope to see more staple effects that get better when you are playing them with your tribe are things that I would love to see as well as just a good dwarf or a good elf. So I'm hoping we get more of those as well. I Okay, I have a couple hopes. Some of them align with yours. I definitely would like to see more good changelings so that you're not just running them solely for the the fact that they are a sphinx or a hydra or whatever Mm -hmm. it would also be nice to for a couple of reasons to be able to to see changelings in a few other colors it's it's fine if they're concentrated in green blue because that mm, for thematic reasons or whatever Um, but like in modern horizons one there were a couple changeling changelings that were colorless and even though like the tribal stuff was concentrated in black white, there was like a green one, there was like a white blue one. It would be nice to get a little bit everywhere because you know there's tribal decks in all five colors, and changeling is something we see so rarely, and it's such a useful tool for these decks. I definitely want to echo what you said about like let's get some some great tribal commanders so that you can easily translate these tribal themes into the most popular format. That would be fantastic. I'd like to see more colorless tribal enablers like Pyre of Heroes that just make all tribal decks function a little bit more easily, work a little bit more smoothly. I'm really curious to see, you know, assuming that we got get legends for all of these themes, I'm really curious to see what the green-blue yes. one looks like. Yeah. Because you can work backwards from like, okay, here are the blue and red giants. What would they need in order to be playable in Commander? Uh, ditto for like black-white angels, ditto for red-white uh, red dwarves, etc. But how do you 
unify how do you unify shapeshifters? Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. There's very few, very few similarities between them over the years. I mean, it's a good opportunity for a joke. They could just do make it like brushwag tribal and then have it splash damage work with all the changelings. Yeah, that honestly would be pretty cool. There's um one of my favorite things about like the Lorwyn draft was that Great Bodoyan was like archer tribal. But there aren't really any archer. There's like two other archers in the set, and then you have to look and go, "Oh, it's this. This is a changeling card. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> this this is just a strong changeling card." I, it would be pretty funny if the blue green legend cared about like Surakars or something stupid, and then you went, "Oh, okay, I know what I'm yeah, supposed yeah. to do." <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. But we'll see. I can't wait to. God, honestly, that is the card I am most curious about in this entire set like the gods whatever the sagas whatever foretell not a huge amount of curiosity on that one it's really just what is this blue green mm-hmm. piece of crap look like i gotta know yeah I'm, I, it's funny because like i'm not super interested in they, they said we're gonna we haven't seen any of the actual mechanics of the set yet other than the spoily little bit of foretell and the fact that sagas are here, and but I, I honestly don't care too much at this point. Uh, what they've spoiled has already kind of teased enough themes that I'm interested in those themes, and I want to see where they go with them. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, uh, if you have thoughts about Kaldheim, please let us know. If you th- think one of these cards is uh, busted, if there's some tech for a commander we didn't talk about here, uh, obviously... This uh, white-blue friend of ours we're going to probably talk about again once we know <laughs> what he actually <Yes>. does. <laughs> but um, but yeah, if you have some cool tech for, say, the wolf, or uh, maybe there's like a, a creature that seems especially good in Halvar or something like that that we're not thinking about, yeah, just let us know. Uh, we always yeah. want to hear from you. For sure. Just hit us up on Twitter, at Commander Theory. But I think that is the end of the episode, which means it's time to thank our patrons mm-hmm. i do oh, i do um, want to say one thing before that so this episode is going to come out uh we are going to have an episode drop on new year's eve so you're if you're listening to this right now um next week we are going to have our interview with jules robbins who is the red mana guru on the council of colors so you can look forward to that if you are hearing this now and i don't know i'm excited about <laughs> releasing that so i hope you all are too i'm really excited for all of you to hear the conversation we had with jules i think it was really productive and we're we're very excited to do more of these color council yes. of colors in your because they've they've been very enlightening so far uh, and that's really our goal for all of you as listeners as well is to kind of get a more modern take on what the color pie is looking like moving forward but gonna it's gonna take a little bit so we hope you stick with us as we go on this journey well with that I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, the White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jason, Kyle, Jerry, Brandon, Amon, Kevin, Matthew, Jamie, Russell, Kaidel, and Jeremy. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you are not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. Hey, what's that? Hey, oh yeah, it's me, it's Zach. I'm dropping in at the end of the episode to uh, say just a few really quick things. The first one is happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Yeah, this is our Christmas present to you. We did not take the holidays off. 
So we have this episode today, and I wanted to mention, just because there's been a lot of talk in the community about it, that tomorrow we are going to get an official preview card from Wizards of the Coast, kind of their present to us on the 25th. So that's cute. That's cool. Uh, don't know what it's going to be, but whatever. We'll find out. The other one is that me, uh, yeah, me and Nick, and pretty much a lot of the internet at this point, seem to know about some unofficial leakies, unofficial spoilies, and we are not going to talk about them on the show. Uh, we are aware of them. We do have opinions on them. Um, if you want to hear our opinions and talk to us about them, then I'm going to pitch that you join our Discord server. All you got to do is join our Patreon for $1 a month. It's pretty easy, pretty simple, but uh, you get to meet all the cool people there, and uh, we get to talk about that because um there's a it's weird it's crazy it's crazy right but next week is the jules robbins episode i'm really excited to let you all hear that one and it is also the end of the year so if you want us to do an end of the year review thing or like a, a retrospective about 2020 or anything like that let us know we weren't planning on doing it but we very easily could so uh, enjoy your holidays, enjoy the preview card tomorrow from Wizards, and actual spoilers will start again in January. So we will see you all then. Goodbye. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.